Now, we do have this genuine wrestle with uh, our motivation for being in church, for having a serious relationship with God. And why would we choose to be a Christian? And why would we choose to become a member of a body like this, or even a family where there are Christians, when there is a requirement, an expectation, a demand, or an accountability that requires you to behave in a certain kind of way? Now, our generation more than any other has rejected this kind of accountability. But I want to say to you this afternoon that the generation that has rejected accountability to man-made and fleshly institutions is called to choose a vibrant accountability to the Lord God Almighty, to choose to live in a way which honors his righteousness. And today, I hope my message is an encouragement to you to value your accountability, to value the opportunity that God has given you of relationships so that you can flourish in the call of God on your life. Now, I'm going to take you on something of a journey here uh, today using some of my own examples uh, from life. I've seen accountability from both sides of leadership, from being a follower and from being a leader. Um, And so I'll look at three aspects, being new to a church, what it is to first start to accept accountability in your life, and then how we nurse or nurture a genuine accountability in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence We thank you that you are with us. And Lord, we believe that you have great calls on each one of our lives, Lord. And Lord, we have a vital place to take in the body of Christ, vital relationships to encourage us as we pursue Christ, vital roles to play in leading others into the kingdom. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that in all of this, you would give us a deep heart's desire for your righteousness. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So I want to begin with... um, story one, just thinking about when I first came to church. Now, I'm sure that, like me, you have also had similar examples. You come to church, you come to Christ, and very soon after journeying with Christ, you hear about this awesome God who is holy and majestic, and yet the rest, uh, yet we live with a challenge that day to day, he hasn't struck us down because of the sin that we have in our life. Sometimes I'm surprised that we're still alive, each one of us, because if we knew the sin that was in us, we would wrestle with um, that in in much more uh, serious ways. But on that journey, God hadn't yet struck me down. And so I'm in this inward conflict. I want to walk holy, but I also am still loving sin. I want to walk in a way which honors God, but I still got another foot in the world. And how do I leave behind this desire for the worldly things and enter into a serious relationship with God? Now, very early on when I joined the church, my um, cell leader, Christian Lythe, was approached me. Um, it was literally the very first Sunday that I'd come into Kensington Temple. And he said, you need to come and join my cell group. And so as we joined the cell group, we'd start hanging out with all these guys. These guys would be walking around with their big, thick Bibles, like, you know, the big preacher Bibles. They'd all walk off to cell carrying them like this, and they'd all learn how to pray real strong. And I'm this new guy joining this group and trying to figure out, how do I find my place here? And one day, I'm walking alongside Christian, and Christian turns to me and he goes, you know what, Gabriel, you know, you really need to sort your friendship choices out. Hold on a minute. Wait, what? <laughs> I need to sort my friendship choice. And as we walk in a bit further, he goes, Gabriel, you probably need to start thinking about your drink problem. Um, you, you know, probably it's the fact that you're hanging out with these guys that they're motivating you to drink so much. You probably need to think about your drink problem. All of a sudden, I'm entering into this confusing alternative world that we call accountability in church. Me as a, 
a young man in the faith, having never experienced this kind of a relationship, I mean, I surrounded myself with people who loved the same lifestyle that I had. We would encourage each other to get drunk. We'd encourage each other to get into fights. We'd celebrate each other when we did something stupid. So this guy suddenly saying to me, Gabriel, you need to consider your relationships. And I began to think, what, what is Christian on about? I know he's a pastor, but why is he expecting me to do that? But then I also began to worry, am I making Christian look bad? Everybody knew who Christian cell group were. We were a loud, vibrant group of guys. And I used to come in, sit on the front row with a black eye, with a hangover. At, the mo at that time, I had a shaved head just to make sure everyone knew I was a tough guy. And I began to think, maybe I need to be a bit more careful about my public lifestyle choices so that I can fit, out, fit in with this group. Now, this first encounter with accountability began to grate on my lifestyle choices, and I was finding it very, very difficult. But I've come to realize that accountability can be such a blessing, especially in areas where we're making big decisions about life, and I'd like to journey us on that here today. Now, in Hebrews 10, 24, this is the verse that Christian used to encourage us with. He'd say, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Today, I know that Christian was doing that as a brother. He wanted me to walk with Christ in a greater depth of intimacy. He wanted me to know what it was to walk free from sin. I could only at that point see him as a leader, but I've come to know and still very much in contact with Christian. We meet regularly to discuss things about how we're encouraging one another in the call of God on our lives because it's very much more about brotherhood than it is about leader follower. And the life that he was challenging me to was one in Colossians 3.9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He was saying to me, Gabriel, you're called to a new life in Christ. There's no need to lie about your lifestyle choices if you're wanting to journey towards righteousness. But we all struggle with this issue of accountability because we see it as a leader-follower relationship. Anyone, any, anytime anyone comes to us and says, you need to make yourself accountable. You've been taught, like I've been taught, we're masters of our own destiny. We are responsible for our lifestyle choices. We can go anywhere we want, be anything we want, do anything we want because God has gifted us, if you want to Christianize it, or I have been blessed to be able to do these things by my own decision-making. But what I want to ask you is, accountability something that should be part of your life? Now, on the one hand, it's really important that we recognize and applaud a generation which questions authority and questions institutions. They don't blindly accept because I'm your father or your mother, even though we all can relate to the video. We don't blindly accept because I'm your pastor or because God said. But is it incomplete thinking to say, you know what, I'm just going to reject all authority? If we simply respond by rejecting all authority, does that really liberate us to a greater purpose? Does that really permission us to the life of freedom that we desire? Do we really get to be more fully ourselves when we reject leadership? Sometimes I find that it feels more like people are trying to define themselves as not like you whenever they are resisting a leadership role in their life. 
Now, I don't know, I know that you don't want to be like me, but is that actually the same as you getting to be who you are? Is that actually the same as you flourishing in who God has made you to be? Now, on the other hand, we've got to think about this, the one side, should we reject authority, but on the other side, can we have the influence that we desire without authority in our lives? Can we have the influence we desire without accountability to the authorities in our lives? We say, as a generation, we want to change the world. Is that true? Do we really want to change the world, or we just want to change people who agree with us? If we really want to change the world, we're called to live a lifestyle or a set of decisions which so inspires people around us, whether they are our leaders or our followers, that they recognize that those are transcendent values, values which everybody is called to live by. And if we are called to make a difference to all generations, we're going to have to include those that we would like to reject as present authority figures in our lives. And maybe if you have taken this uh, rejection of authority or rejection of accountability to its extreme, I want to challenge you with a difficult question. If you have rejected authority in your life, are you playing into the hands of another agenda? someone else's agenda for your life rather than God's way? The answer to bad authority is not to reject authority. It is prayerfully to look at and encourage righteousness of those in authority, to remind them in a godly way that we are all called to be submitted to a higher authority. So really what should happen, me as a pastor or leader in this house, other pastors, leaders, cell leaders, and so on, church board elders, all of those kinds of people, we would love it if you were to exhort us to be the best that we can be in our roles as leaders in the house of God. And that is part of the challenge that all of us are called to, mutual submission before Christ. Now, there is a very important reason why our generation struggles with authority more than any other has before because we really want to see integrity and authenticity. We want to see leaders, men and women, who say what they will do and then do what they will do, so that we can begin to build trust with them. And that's a very powerful core value, a very powerful truth that all of us live with. Because when we say we want everyone, we want to see everyone living with Jesus' agenda for their lives, we can step more fully into what God has made us for. But the challenge that rests with our, our generation, if we are willing to demand of others or set expectations of others, are we willing to hold up the mirror to ourselves? Are we ready to live the lifestyle that we demand from others? Are we ready to, in, in, in addition to what we expect from leaders, reflect from our own lives what we are also aspiring to? If I was to ask you about the generation that follows you, those that like you on Facebook or follow your Instagram and retweet your messages, those that are influenced by you and then go on to influence, do they see righteousness in you? Do they see you taking up a, a call of God on your life to be a person that is accountable? So this first journey into accountability was a difficult one. I grumbled inside. I wrestled with what Christian had said to me. I thought, you know what, these are my friends. I don't want to abandon my friends just like that, just because I've become a Christian. But I began to make some choices about how I related with these friends. We wouldn't any longer meet in the pub. We'd meet in different contexts. I also began to think of some other ways I could hang out with new friends and make new friends. And there were some immediate benefits. 
One was coming to church without a hangover. Another was coming to church without a black eye. Hallelujah, I wasn't making Christian look bad anymore. Um, and it's very soon I began to realize, hey, there's value in this accountability stuff. Christian told me off, and now I'm living right, and it's having benefits for me, so I'm going to start telling other people off and start encouraging, encouraging them to righteousness because it's important we make righteous choices. Romans 6.16 says this, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. I want to tell you a little bit of a story. Um, when we were refurbing Kensington Temple, probably just over 10 years ago now, we were raising funds for the church, and we wanted to paint inside and make you know, fix the outside, all that kind of thing. And there was a goal set for those that would raise a thousand pounds to get their names on special placards. And I wanted my name on a special placard. So I came up with a scheme that I would skydive 25 times in order to be able to raise a thousand pounds for the church. This feels like a Ponzo scheme, right? Feels a bit cheeky. So what I would do is people would sponsor me a, a skydive, but I would take half of the money towards the skydive and half of the money towards the church. And so I was able to get qualified as a skydiver, as well as invest a thousand pounds in the refurbishment of the church. It was great fun. But we jumped out of planes and flew on our own within the first, sec uh, second and third jump. Imagine that, letting a novice jump out of a plane, just flying by himself, flying the parachute. Anyway, I'm there doing my training, and it was exciting. We're learning how to front flip, back flip, spin round, spin round, dive like Superman, all this amazing stuff. Um, and then there came this series of the training where you had to land your parachute within a certain area. It was just a bit smaller than this central block here of people. And the first time I came down, I'm flying this big bus of a parachute. Everyone else is swooping past me super quick. I'm like, Come on, can I go any quicker? But the first time, I landed in the area. The second time, I landed in the area. I'm thinking to myself, I'm a professional at this. I'm so good. This is only the second time that I've tried this. Now, the third time, I'm coming in. And some dude had jumped out of a plane really late because he should have been on the ground way, way, way ahead of me. I don't know what was happening. But he comes flying past me without his chute open, pops the chute, and comes down right where I'm going to land. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, oh my God, if I keep flying in this straight line, I'm going to kick that dude straight in the head. And so I'm flying thinking, where else can I avoid? And there was a windsock, to, you know the windsock, a pole with a big thing of material on it that picks up the direction of the wind. You see them by airports all the time. There's this windsock there, and I'm coming down and I'm thinking, I don't want to kill that guy. I also need to make sure I don't hit that post. Let me make sure I don't hit that post and instinctively reached. I don't know why I did that because the brake line for my parachute was attached to my hand. And as I reached to try and stop hitting the windsock, instead, I turned the parachute and accelerated 20 miles hitting into this parachute, nearly broke my hand. My instructor came swooping down after me and he comes running over to me. He's like, dude, are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, I hurt my hand, but I'm okay. He goes, you're an idiot. I thought you were dead. Don't you remember? Look away, turn away. Because whatever you look at, whatever you get attracted by, whatever becomes the center of your focus is what you're going to hit. 
And in that moment, I had totally forgotten that that's what I was going to hit. I needed my trainer on the ground to watch over me to ensure that I didn't crash into the windsock. So on Facebook, there are probably a thousand Gabriel Chans because there's only 43 million Chans in the world. And um, there's only one Gabriel Windsock Chan, though. And it's not because my parents were hippies. It's because in skydive culture, you get called by the first thing you kill. And I killed the windsock. Or the windsock killed me. But this is how so many of us relate to the idea of accountability. The trainer on the floor. The guy shouting, look away, turn away. The guy who is the voice in your head trying to tell you how you should live before God. And so often when we come into a church context and begin to hear about these ideas of accountability, like I had heard from Christian about the challenge to make some wiser choices about my friends, we begin to say, well, okay, if I'm serious about my relationship with God, I need to make an agreement. And this is an agreement between me and God to be more righteous. This is an agreement between me and you as my leader. You are going to help me get holy. Actually, I'm going to make you responsible for my holiness because we are now in an accountability relationship. You can challenge me, you can correct me, you can ask me difficult questions because I don't know how to get free from sin by myself unless you help me as a more righteous person. Now that's what we actually are saying when we choose accountability without point three, which I'm going to unpack with you in a minute. But this type of accountability my cell leader, my pastor, the person that's going to tell me off whenever I'm on the wrong path. That's no real kind of accountability. And actually, regardless of the grace of the leadership, it's always going to produce a legalistic way of life. If I do this, I will get this. I used to think of accountability like accountants, you know. Accountants are always one in here, one out there. So every sin you commit here, you're going to have to have a punishment somewhere else. So if I sin here, then my leader, my accountability partner is going to punish me here. So it's always going to be like accounting. And soon you begin to think like this. This is the reality. If I want to be a living part of this vibrant community and you're my leader, well, you are going to promote me or demote me based upon my holiness. So I'm going to start playing the Christian game. I'm going to choose to tell you what is good, and I'm going to choose to conceal what is bad. I'm going to put my best foot forward, and then I'm going to keep areas of my life totally hidden and off limits to you. I will hide the sin that so easily ensnares me. I will hide the inward darknesses and inward wrestles that I have because I know that my place in this community rests upon how you perceive me. That's one approach. Or we can also get so good at the tick box exercise when it comes to leadership that we would present one or a limited number of facts to try and maneuver decisions in our favor. This is brilliant when you see people that uh, have made a decision. Um, I just wanted to discuss something through with you um, before we can move any further. Um, you know, I would really like to um, leave the country to go take this job. And I had a word from God here, and then it got confirmed four or five times. How did it get confirmed? Words came. Where did the words come from? Oh, well, I was reading the scripture, and one verse jumped out of the word. Okay, is that how a word comes? And, you know, someone else in a, in a sermon, I mean, you might be sitting here today thinking, Gabriel is speaking about me. 
and that word that I use, accountability. Oh, that word came, accountability. Yes, um, I'm being accountable with this decision. And you might even approach someone at the end of this and say, these are the reasons why I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Um, and present it in a particular way to get the outcome that you want. These things are part of the Christian game that we all can play. I've played it. You might be playing it right now. And just let me exhort and encourage you leaders here in the house. We can't make people holy, and we can't make people's decisions for them. We can only inspire people to holiness as we live for Jesus Christ and encourage them to test the decisions that they're making. On this journey, group of guys, we've learned to, how to wrestle with this issue of wanting to be part of the body of Christ, wanting to be leaders. And as I began to help more and more men with their journey with Christ, we began to discover the numbers of men that are addicted to pornography and increasingly women addicted to pornography in the church. And we made the decision, you know what, as a group, we want holiness more than we want our pride to be held up. We want Jesus more than we want to live in sin. And so the guys, we started to encourage one another and say, you know what, call one another. Now this began like this, a guy would sin, they would fall into temptation, and girls, we've heard similar stories as well, and then they would call up their accountability partner later, you know, because it's easier to sin first and ask for forgiveness than it is to. But as, it, as we journeyed on, first guys began to say, I hate making that phone call. Because even if they're going to treat me graciously, I feel terrible on the inside. But they would choose to make the phone call. They would choose to say, bro, I just need to tell someone I screwed up again. I need you to pray with me. I'm really struggling. I don't know how to get free from this. It's an addiction. There's certain contexts in which I find that I just need to, to relieve myself in that way. And so there would be all these kinds of conversations. But then something began to shift. Something began to change in the hearts of these guys. Rather than face the difficult phone call after the event, guys began to say, you know what, I don't want to make that phone call after. I want to make that phone call before. Because I don't want to keep asking for forgiveness, I want to actually walk in righteousness. And the, the, the moment that the guys turned, the moment that the guys started to say, bro, I need your support before. Bro, I need you to pray for me before something powerful began to happen. In their hearts was being birthed this desire for righteousness that transcended, that went beyond the fear that they had of exposing their sin to another brother. And they moved from the bad medicine of the follow-up phone call into the advanced protection of a phone call before they fell into sin. And suddenly these guys are going 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, one month, two months, six months, year, multiple years, free from this crippling addiction of pornography. There's a verse that is the heart of accountability. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When we recognize that Jesus died so that we can walk in the holiness for which we were made, suddenly the whole realm of accountability changes. 
The moment that we start to desire God and what He wants above everything else is the moment that we begin to meaningfully connect with the purpose of accountability relationships. If our heart's cry is, I want to honor you, God, with all that I am. I want to honor you with my heart, soul, body, mind, and strength. The moment we start to declare that, we change the way that we deal with our sin. Our sin is stuff that we want to get out of the way as quickly as possible as we pursue Jesus. And so then we change our motivation. We say, I want to call my brother. I want to call my sister. I want to call my accountability partner. But this is no longer a leader trying to hold me to account. Or even someone that wants the best for me. This is someone that I'm leaning on because I desire from the inside out to live in a way that honors God. They might be a leader. They might be a brother. But there's someone that I am running with to pursue the righteousness that God has prepared for me. And so in the narrative of the skydiver, I'm not flying down waiting for some dude to get on the radio to shout, look ahead, turn away. In my heart, if I continue in this path, I'm going to end up in a place that dishonors God. I want to honor God. So I'm going to call my bro. I'm going to call my sister. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to get on my face, whatever it might be to continue in the righteous choices that God has for me. If we say and are willing to say, I'm in a mess. I need your wisdom. I need your support. I need your encouragement. I need your motivation because in my moment of weakness, my heart is desperately wicked. I need encouragement in who I am in Christ. You will start to see moment by moment, decision by decision, day by day, your decisions changing in a way that honors God and these vital relationships becoming fruitful relationships rather than policeman type relationships. On this journey of accountability, me and my friends became so close that actually they live all over the world now. One's in Australia, one's in Germany, one's in another world outside in Bedford. Another still lives down the road here. Um, but we're so close that we're still in touch at least on a fortnightly basis, if not more regularly than that. But what's so beautiful for me is on this journey of building relationships that suddenly my brothers began to be aware of who I was in a deeper way and began to help me uh, grow in my walk with God. And one of the amazing ways that they helped me is two guys who knew me well because we had become so close through these relationships came to me and said, we've been watching this girl. We think that you guys should go on a date. I had also been watching this girl, but I hadn't told them about it. And so they set me up with this girl, Rebecca. You know, the rest is, uh, as we say, history. Happily married six years, two sons, glorious. Hallelujah. But for me, that was the blessing of what began as accountability. It became such relationship that my most genuine relationship has flowed out of those relationships together. I believe that God is calling the church to this kind of leadership, a, a leadership which is not birthed in authority structures and you have to submit yourself to me and be accountable to me, but rather a grace leadership which enables people to live out this deep passion within them to be righteous before God, to live out that righteousness in Christ Jesus. I believe that leaders should be transparent with their followers. They should be open with the people around them because if they expect people to follow them, what kind of life are they living? And if we have a vision and a heart to see people flourish in their abilities in Christ, 
they certainly will and become all that God has called them to be. Three points of action. If you want to be a person that flourishes in the call of God upon your life, I want to encourage you to prayerfully select two or three people that you can build trusting relationships with whose opinions matter deeply to you and give them explicit permission to call out the goodness in you. We are to be encouraging one another, as that original passage said, to encourage one another in the grace of God upon their lives. And if you're an accountability partner to someone, I want to encourage you to think about the balance of your conversations. Are you always criticizing and correcting, or are you also bringing encouragement and freedom? Decision Action point two is to decide to make your decisions transparent. One of the things we've encouraged all of the brothers to do now is to say, you know what? If you're making a life-changing decision, I want to ask you to bring that decision to my two or three to jump on it. Have you ever made a bad decision? You went and jumped on it. You know, like when those dudes go and jump on the, the, um, uh, into a pool, what are they called? Diving boards, when they go jump on a diving board and then, they, and then it breaks because they're too heavy. Well, too many, too many times we make decisions where we've jumped on the diving board and it breaks because we haven't tested our decision. If there are two or three trusted people in our life, what we encourage our brothers to do and what I'm encouraging you to do is this. Bring that decision. Jump on it. Is this a real good decision, man? Okay, now you can go build your house on that. But if they jump and it breaks, bro, that's probably not a great idea for your life. It's probably not something that you should think about building your life on. Unsubmitted decisions are like the sand that crumbles when it comes time of testing. Submitted decisions are like rocks that are built firm foundations on. Third, plan of action. First is to choose two or three. Second is to test your decisions. Third is to commit to the relationship however the testing of those decisions goes. Sometimes you might be someone that has made a bad decision and you're filled with regret and remorse and you distance the people that trust you trust. What is it like to build deep relationships with them? What is it like to reconnect? Sometimes when a decision has gone badly, it's important to ask forgiveness, to restore, to reconnect, to even ask forgiveness of the people that you've ignored. Sometimes when it's the right decision, you might have hurt some people along the way. God is calling us to be a people that grow and not get offended or get more secretive, but to choose to honor God in a way that we build our lives and relationships. So three points. Choose two or three. Make your decisions transparent. Three, commit and restore relationship whenever it breaks in those testing times. Wherever you are, I want to encourage you that a decision, even if right now you are in the midst of great difficulty, you are under great challenge or guilt from your sin, know that the decision to walk free begins with trusting God, that he will lead you, but beginning to reach out and lean on people around you. 